Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Hello, faithful podcast listeners. Pastor Adam here. Hey, we wanted to just give you this uh, quick announcement. First of all, I want to say how much we love you and thank you for listening to this sermon podcast on the Potter's House Church here in Virginia Beach. And just wanted to give you a heads up, we're making some changes to this podcast uh, that's going to benefit you and also our ministry here in the Potter's House Church. So just to inform you, we've switched our podcasting host. It's a service called Anchor, and that has allowed us to uh, receive and generate some income through the placement of a couple of advertisements during our podcast. So we just wanted to inform you of this change because going forward, you are going to hear one or two 30-second ads during each podcast uh, sermon. So um, as a result of that small inconvenience on your part, it means that our church can monetize these podcasts and also that means that we can receive some financial support so that we can continue the work of winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. So we just wanted to say thank you again for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for sharing these messages. And thank you for your patience as we make this helpful change. We hope you have a great day. God bless. Our study in the book of Revelation, and I want to uh, make this again kind of a discussion style a Bible study, uh, give you the opportunity to ask questions and give feedback and read some scriptures tonight. Um, since uh, there's going to be a little bit less structure as far as uh, uh, the material we're presenting, but what we're doing is we are making our way through the book of Revelation and we are gaining as much understanding of this incredible book as we possibly can. And so just a little bit of review um, we have gone through the first three chapters of Revelation, which were the letters written directly by Jesus to the leaders of the seven prominent churches in Asia Minor. That was chapters 1 through 3. In chapter 4, we, uh, we took a giant leap, and we took our eyes off of the uh, physical world, and we got a glimpse into the very throne room of God. It was incredible to... Uh, to see what was described there, uh, the four creatures uh, that forever are tasked with worshiping at the throne of God Almighty. And for the last several weeks, we've been looking at the scroll, the lamb who was worthy to open the scroll. And uh, can anybody remind us tonight, what was, what was this scroll all about that is in the scripture? What is the scroll describing and why is it important that we know what is on the scroll anyone want to lift your hand and take a crack at that tonight what is the scroll that is described in chapter 5 and why is it that only the lamb was worthy to open it anybody 
Patrick. Oh, so the the lamb was Jesus, who was slain on the cross. He was the only one who was able to open it because he was the most pure. Right. But the scroll with the seven seals that was showing plague, uh, death, something. I think okay. Very good. So yes, the scroll describes the events of the last times as they begin to happen, and this scroll was sealed by God with seven seals. And so we've been seeing now in chapter 6 the, uh, the, the seals as they are being removed from the scroll. And as the seals are removed, there is a progression of events that are taking place. The first seal, we, we learned about the conqueror, uh, the one who would come. A crown was given to him, uh, and he went out conquering and to conquer. We uh, we believe that it is well interpreted that this is a uh, this is an this is uh, a description of the Antichrist in the last days as he begins to conquer the world of governments and um, and financial systems and religious institutions. We'll read more about him later uh, in the book of Revelation. We saw the second seal where it describes great conflict on the earth. The third seal describing. Uh, the scarcity on the earth. And each of these, as the seals are removed from the scroll, it is coinciding with uh, terrible, terrible things that are taking place on the earth. And all of these are signs of the last days of the, um, the final uh, progression of events uh, which leads up to the return of Jesus Christ. And so uh, last time we were together, a couple of weeks ago, we, uh, we kind of took a little bit of a detour uh, because of what was revealed by the fifth seal. So seals one through four were coinciding with some very terrible, tragic things that were taking place. But then the fifth seal revealed something that was different than the rest. And does anybody remember what that was and why it was important for us? What was revealed under the fifth seal, and what did it tell us? Noelle's lifting her hand. Oh, sorry. Um, it represents the souls of those who were martyred. Okay, the souls that were martyred. You want to add to that, Mr. Alonzo? It was um, underneath the altar uh, when the uh, okay. Uh, so when we saw the the souls which were under the altar, the martyrs who had died for their testimony, uh, why is this scripture so important? What did it teach us about? Anybody remember from the last time we were together? Yeah, Milo. Okay. Maybe it's, maybe it's teaching us that God is waiting for a specific number um, of people before he releases ultimate judgment on the earth. That's true. That's actually mentioned there, uh, that they should rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and brethren who would be killed was completed. So in other words, uh, that the, the group of martyrs had not yet been 
completed, that there was more still that were going to die for their faith. But there was, there was also something that we learned about, something that these martyrs revealed to us, um, a, an understanding of heaven. What, what, what did we talk about? Do you remember that? Yes, Perla. physical bodies because they wear in a white robe right yes so we talked about the difference between the intermediate heaven and the permanent heaven the heaven as it is now versus heaven as it's going to be and the reason why these scriptures are so powerful is because it shows us what heaven as it is now is like and uh so if if you're interested in more of that you can uh Hopefully find the recording on the website somewhere. So as we continue forward, we come back to the sixth seal, a sixth of seven seals which, are, which have to be removed from the scroll before we can learn what the scroll says. And uh, this sixth seal we continue. I'd like uh, a volunteer to read uh, verses 12 through 17. Who wants to do that? Chris is going to read for us. I looked when he opened the sill, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in caves and in rocks and mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come. Who is able to stand? All right, so some amazing things to talk about here. Uh, As the sixth seal is removed from the scroll, the next thing that takes place is what my Bible titles Cosmic Disturbances. (laughs) <laughs> that sounds pretty serious, right? Cosmic disturbances. And so, um, so far, what's been revealed by these different seals have been uh, terrible things. The conqueror, conflict on the earth, scarcity, uh, or famine, and then widespread death. But here's the thing about all of those. Um, the systems of the earth were still in place. In other words, there was still governments, there's still military And the people who would suffer the most as those first four seals are removed in the book of Revelation, chapter 6, the people who are suffering most are who? Well, certainly believers, but there's another group who's going to suffer the most. Sorry? Well, unbelievers too, but uh, I'm thinking of people who are in poverty, right? So if you have a big mountain of wealth saved up for yourself, you're mostly going to be untouched by a lot of this stuff. You'd be able to bribe the right people in the right places. You'd be able to uh, still have food and it's stored up for yourself. You'd be able to buy armed guards and, and keep the hordes away from you. But this next seal is going to touch not just the poor, not just the hungry, not just the weak, not just the Christians, the believers, or the non-believers. This next uh, seal, as it's uh, uncovered from the scroll, is going to affect every person on earth, no matter who you are, okay? And uh, 
And so what do we find described here? It's actually a mirror scripture going all the way back to the Old Testament. I'd like someone to find for us the book of Joel. Who's got a, who, who wants to read for us tonight? Anybody? Noel, Joel. I'd like you to find Joel is the proper, Yoel actually is the Hebrew way to say it. Yoel chapter 2, verses 28 through 31. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So this is a very interesting prophecy given to the prophet Joel, that he is predicting two things happening at the same time, which is pretty amazing. The first thing to notice here is that there's revival. This is a commonly used scripture, even in 2019, as we look forward to what we believe will be a last day's revival before the end times take place. Where God promises, he says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And in fact, this same prophecy is used on the day of Pentecost book of Acts chapter 2 as God pours out his spirit and uh, the crowds that are there observing what is taking place they're seeing all the believers they're speaking in other tongues and uh, supposing that they are drunk but the apostle Peter stands up and he preaches the first Holy Ghost sermon filled by the spirit of God and he says listen guys listen brothers uh, these are not drunk as you suppose. This is the fulfillment, the beginning of the fulfillment of the prophet Joel. And he quotes this very scripture. That in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters shall prophesy. Old men shall dream dreams. Young men shall see visions. And so that is a very encouraging thing, right? We still need the spirit of God. We are a Pentecostal church which means we still believe the power of Pentecost is available to every believer, not just to the pastor, not just to the prominent leaders in the church, but the power of Pentecost is available to you, that you can prophesy, you can speak, you can be filled with the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, and be used by God in a powerful way, right? We still believe that. But at the same time, in the same prophecy, in the very next line, I will show wonders in the heavens and the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke, sun shall be turned to darkness, moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. So let me ask you, what, when you read the word, the great and awesome day of the Lord, what, is, what should you feel? when you read that, the great and awesome day of the Lord. She feels happy, she feels excited. Yes, sir. Fear. I think it's more like that. 
I think when we think about the great and awesome, it's not just the, the California way of saying awesome, dude. It is truly worthy of our awe and amazement. And that we should have fear and trembling about this. And that's why um, in the book of Revelation, it picks up the same imagery as the sixth seal is removed from the scroll. The moon becomes like blood. The sun becomes black as a sackcloth of hair. What does, what does this say to you? What kind of events are we actually talking about here? Yeah. Solar eclipses, blood moons together. It, says, it speaks about earthquakes. It even speaks about stars of heaven falling to the earth. Um, what was that? Meteor showers, but far more than just the, the standard meteor showers that happen and occur on a regular basis, but that will, this will be like, you know, the Hollywood-style disaster movies of meteors falling on the earth and causing great devastation. And it says that the stars of heaven falling to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when shaken by a mighty wind. So we just had a mighty wind roll through here, right? Did you, were you out on the roads after the hurricane went through? There's leaves and branches and stuff. I'm swerving my car around trying to... And so because of a mighty wind was shaking those trees and began to, uh, began to, to drop all these things. So the stars of heaven will be dropping like the fig tree when a great wind shakes those figs. So uh, that means it's not just a few. It's not just a, a little bit here and there. And while we understand that no, uh, you know, Betelgeist, the star that's uh, 25 million light years away, that's not going to be coming to earth. But in, in the biblical language, the stars of the earth probably means meteorites falling down and causing great problems. Some of you maybe have been to a place in Arizona called Meteor Crater. Anybody? Kind of up near Grand Canyon area. We drove by it. Uh, and it, it's literally a place where a meteor struck the earth. And we're not really sure how long ago this happened, 25,000 years ago or whatever they say. But that one meteor was large enough to cause uh, enough energy to hit the ground there that it left a crater, a huge crater, miles wide. And that's just one out in the middle of nowhere. So what will it be when meteors begin to strike the earth like figs falling out of a tree? That would be pretty terrible, wouldn't it? See, the rich man's mansion, surrounded by a moat and a gate, will not be able to avoid the devastation at this moment in time. It says in verse 14, the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. So there's differing opinions on exactly what this means, but could it be that as the meteors begin to strike the earth that it literally causes a shaking of the axis of the earth? The tectonic plates will be dislodged. That the uh, that volcanoes will erupt as the earth is shaken. That would be very terrible. And Hollywood has done its best to try to reenact this because Hollywood likes to scare people. Uh, but Dave, you want to add to that? Um, volcanoes erupting would cause pillars of smoke. Up and fire? And fire. And blood? Yep. I saw a hand over here. 
sort of reminds me of what uh, in science class about how the dinosaurs became extinct. Right? So uh, there's the theory of how the dinosaurs went to extinct uh, due to probably a, a large meteor. And uh, this would cause uh, uh, part, part of the reason why they say that the, the sky turned black. Could it be that the volcanic eruption, the ash goes into the atmosphere? This happened not so long ago, the year before I was born in, uh, in Washington. as uh, What was the name of that mountain? Mount St. Helens blew its top. And, uh, and there was ash that was distributed into the atmosphere. You know, they were finding ash falling even a year later as far as the Midwest. Ash falling. That's just one volcano erupting. And in certain places like Portland, where my family was at the time, there was like, like inches of ash on the ground. And my dad, to this day, he still has a jar full of the ash that he collected off the ground. He keeps it on the shelf as a conversation piece. But that's, that's, just, that's just one volcano erupting, right? So what happens when the tectonic plates begin to shift and the axis of the earth is tilted? Listen, this is not some light things to be talking about. But this is a, a sure sign of the, the coming devastation. Yes, Leanna. Uh, just um, what, going back on Mount St. Helens, I recall someone mentioning it that it was so massive that it could be seen all the way from Japan. Like people could just see it somehow from across the water. The and jet I, stream was carrying the ash across the ocean. Yeah, Absolutely. Just thinking tectonic plates start shifting and we start getting our ring of volcanoes, uh-huh. something's going to wake. Yep. And, uh, and so, you know, we like to think that because we live in a time, uh, information is easily accessible, and we have scientific understandings and breakthroughs and understand, and, and we like to think that we're smarter than our ancestors, right? But, you know, when stuff like this begins to happen, and it will, sometime, the only answer that we're going to have is the same as our ancestors. It's going to be to hide in caves. Because all of our technology will not be able to save us. Your iPhone will not be able to help you in this situation. Uh, you're not going to have a place to be, you know, to be able to run to. So every man, it says, look, look at verse 15. The kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, mighty men, every slave and free man hid themselves in caves and in rocks of the mountains. And they cried out to the mountains. And they said, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now, these are two ideas that we don't often link together, right? We, we, we know about the wrath of God. The wrath of God, God is angry at the sinner every day. But there it specifically says the wrath of who? The Lamb. That Jesus is angry. Now, now um, this is what leads me to believe that most of the people on the earth at this time are the unbelievers. That, you know, there are differing opinions about this, so you don't have to take my word 100%. Do your own study and come argue with me about it. But I believe there's going to be a rapture of the saints before a lot of this tribulation takes place. And the reason I say that is because if God is pouring out His wrath on the earth, you would think there would be people crying out for mercy. 
God, forgive us. We're sinners. Would you have mercy on us? But that's not what these people are doing. They are hiding from the face of God and they are not repenting. And so even though there is incredible wrath being poured out on the earth, here's a a whole group of people hiding in the mountain and yet still resisting the will of God. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, Mr. Mr. Andre. Please, yes. It says, um, from these scriptures we just read, it says, at the sight of God sitting on the throne, all human beings, great and small, will be terrified, calling for the mountain to fall on them so they will not have to face the judgment of the Lamb. This picture was not intended to frighten believers. For them, the Lamb is a gentle Savior. But for those generals, emperors, or kings who previously showed no fear of God, and arrogantly flaunted their unbelief, will find they were wrong. And in that day, they will have to face his wrath. No one who has rejected God can survive. Hold up. No one who has rejected God can survive the day of his wrath. But those who belong to Christ will receive a reward rather than punishment. Do you belong to Christ? If so, you need not fear these final days. That's good preaching. Yes, that's good commentary. Um, and so, yeah, these things are not intended to scare. We're not, we're not here trying to cause uh, everyone to, you know, stay up all night thinking about it. Because if we're right with God, then God's going to protect us, right? He's going, and even if we die in the midst of the worst, he has, he's going to welcome us into his presence, right? So, um, so thinking about these great cosmic disturbances, this portion of scripture ends with the question, That goes on to be answered. All right, so here's the question. Verse 17. For the great day of his wrath has come. Who is able to stand? Who is able to stand? So in the natural, what's the answer to that question? (laughs) Nobody. And, And that's true today, isn't it? That's true before all these things take place. We ought to understand that no one can hide from the wrath of God. The problem is that many of us, we are not aware of that. We're not, uh, we don't think about that. Uh, sinful people are so wrapped up in their own um, sinful lives that they're not worried about the wrath of God. And so this is why the church, you know, before we can talk to people about the grace and the mercy and the love and the tenderness of a good father, we have to tell them about his wrath. The good news is not good unless we know that God is angry about sin, right? It's kind of like if, as a doctor, you know, I, I come to your house and I say, I, I, I've got, uh, or I call you on the phone, listen, we need to give you chemotherapy right now. Right now we need to give you chemotherapy. It's going to be terrible, you're going to be sick, your hair's going to fall out, and you're like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. I don't need chemotherapy, I'm fine. See, if I came with the cure first, but I didn't tell you about the disease. What a good doctor should do is say, we've seen your blood results. We know for a fact that there is cancer in your system and that it's going to kill you if we don't do something. So I need to give you chemotherapy, right? That is a very different presentation. The reason I mention that is because the church has mostly skipped the bad news and in our current generation uh, has only preached the good news. 
We've preached the cure without the sickness. We come to people and say, Jesus loves you. And yes, Jesus does love everybody. That's why he died on the cross. But listen, to a sinner, if you tell me, if I'm living in my sin, having a good time, and uh, you know, li- living it up and doing the things that sinners do, and you come and tell me Jesus loves me, what does the Bible say? That the cross to them who is perishing is foolishness. I don't care if Jesus loves me. I've got my own good thing happening here, right? And so the church has to be faithful to remind a sinful world of the sickness of sin. We have to talk about that every sinner, every person is a sinner. We've all offended God and our sins have caused wrath and the wrath of God is no joke. That's why the wrath of God will be fulfilled in these last days. Right now, God is withholding His wrath from the earth. And you ought to be grateful for that every single day. Even though we are right with God, even though those of us who have repented of our sins and turned to Christ, we want to live for Him, but still God withholds His wrath from a sinful world. We ought to be grateful for that. God has given us grace and time. So the question was, who is able to stand? And in the natural, that answer is nobody. Nobody can stand. Not not, uh, all the wealth of the world added up and put it together cannot protect you from God's wrath. But in chapter 7, we find the answer to this question. It's a response. Who is able to stand? And so then the Apostle John, who is our tour guide through these Uh, through this amazing scroll, the sixth seal has been unveiled and we've seen these cosmic disturbances. And we take a detour now before the seventh seal is uh, unsealed. So the whole chapter 7 is an answer to that question, who is able to stand? And there are two categories of people that are in this chapter. So we're going to go through this quickly. Uh, Chapter 7 of the book of Revelation, verse 1. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted, to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes and the children of Israel were sealed. And then we get a list of each tribe, 12,000 from each tribe of the tribes of Israel, skipping to verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne, And before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures, and uh, and fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom Thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these 
arrayed in white robes? Good question. I was just thinking that same thing. Who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And I said to him, sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the lamb who's in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Okay, so a couple of things to break down, and then we'll close this out for the evening. So in chapter 7, we get the answer to the question, who is able to stand? And there are two categories. We find, first of all, the sealed ones of Israel, and we also have a multitude from the great tribulation. The sealed of Israel and a multitude from the great tribulation. So, um, again, we're, now we're in between the sixth seal and the revealing of the seventh seal, and, uh, and God is breaking down for us who is able to stand. Now, these are not able to stand because they are so strong and powerful. The reason that there are these that are named who are able to stand in this great and awesome day of the Lord is because God has marked them. God has put a seal on their foreheads. Now, later on in the book of Revelation, we're going to read about another mark on a forehead, right? And that's the one that gets a little more press. It gets a little more uh, because, you know, the end times and uh, the marks on your hand or your forehead, uh, without which you cannot uh, do any financial transactions and various things. And we say mark of the beast, right? Well, I think, I think this is probably worthy of more attention, because I don't know about you, but I want to have the mark of the Lamb, <laughs> right? And it said there in chapter 7 and in verse uh, 3 that the servants of God will be sealed on their foreheads. That God is, for those who are still on the earth at this time of history, that God will mark them with a seal, that that would be visibly uh, noticeable by God and everyone else that these are called to stand in the great and awesome day of the Lord. Any questions or comments about that so far? Yes. Well, this isn't scripture, but in the in the Left Behind series... It was a way of people who were saved that were that didn't make it in the in the rapture in the rapture right. that were living they could recognize one another as believers. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I think that they they scripturally based it, but it's still you know fiction. Sure. But um, anyway, that's what I think it is. Okay, certainly, it's possible. Yes. Is it going to be voluntary or is it just going to be like? You got it now, like because the mark of the beast is going to be voluntary, and people will choose to get it. But will this just be something that people will have because they're saved? Or how does that? Well, I, I think you can answer that question in the same way uh, you would answer the question: uh, Who gets saved? Uh, does, is God 
are, are people saved voluntarily? Well, sort of. I mean, God is the one who provides salvation, but we respond to his salvation with uh, faith. And it's our faith that we enter into this covenantal relationship with God. And so, um, y- yes, we are choosing in a certain way, but God is the one who has ordained it. We've been chosen. We choose because he chose first. And in the same way, I think this mark, it will be given to those who have chosen to follow him. Right? Makita? Well, I can't tell you for sure. The Bible doesn't, is not specific about that. All I know is that it will be noticeable, right? It will be something that is marked by God for those who are following the Lord. Milo, you want to add something there? It says the, uh, the 144,000 will, be, there. will yep. be sealed. Say again. Um, so f- some of those tribes are still lost. Yeah. Um, do you... Uh, suspect where they are now and how that will work as far as the 10 lost tribes. So yeah, let's talk about the tribes. It's a very good uh, transition into what we're going to talk about next. Yes, Mr. Lonzo. Um, in the Old Testament where it says that um, man, my mind can't function well now, but uh, it said that he anointed my head with oil and he prepared a uh, table before my enemies. Now, could that be I'm just speculating now. Could that be uh, those that didn't really get chance to uh, repent during the, uh, before the revelation, but the conviction of them, kind of like the thief was on the cross, the conviction come upon them when they see that happen, and then, then they repent? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so operating under the assumption that there, is a, uh, there will be a, a rapture of the church before the tribulation begins, and uh, we're, we're not 100% you know, uh, sure that that is true. The scriptures are unclear. But you know, there's pretty good evidence to believe that. Um, but assuming that that is the case, the church has been removed before tribulation begins. So the only ones left are, are sinners, right? But even among sinners, there's going to be a lot of people who have biblical knowledge, biblical understanding. There's going to be friends and family who've been to church. You know, churches are filled with people who are probably not going to make the rapture, right? They're not saved. But at least there's knowledge of the gospel. So maybe the rapture would be a wake-up call for some people. And for those people, that, that is part of the, this group that is being described here, for sure. And so these are going to be people who, um, and the Bible also describes how uh, how the Holy Spirit, the influence of the Holy Spirit will be removed from the earth at the same time because that's part of the definition of the church. And so it's going to be very hard to live for God. Just imagine, you know, we, we are living for God now because we have the influence of the Holy Spirit. We have his conviction. We have uh, his word. We have him whispering to us and leading us in how to live for God. But if the Holy Spirit is removed from the earth, we read about that earlier it's going to be very difficult right i mean so it, I, I would say it's possible to repent it's possible to uh to you know to seek god's forgiveness but wow to try to live for god 
apart from the Holy Spirit's influence in the same way that we have it now is going to be very, very difficult. Very few people will be able to do that. Marquita, you have a question? When you say uh, um, about the rapture, um, is it basically um, a whole group of family or is it like the church group family that come together in the church and then they take it up? So those who are in Christ, the, where we get the, the idea about the rapture is in Thessalonians where it says that Jesus, that those who are in Christ will be caught up in the clouds together with him. That Jesus is going to meet us. Uh, he's going to come from heaven and he's going to meet us in the clouds. The church will be raptured. And so if you're saved, you'll be part of that group. And uh, those who are left behind are only the sinners, right? That's kind of the idea of the rapture. Yes. I just wanted to just comment on about um, would people be able to uh, get saved? If you say if the Holy Spirit is um, not here, it's going to be almost impossible. For, for me, from reading the scripture, I think it's going to be absolutely impossible. Right. Because Jesus said we have to be born again, and we have to be born of the Spirit. And we, if his Spirit is no longer here, for my understanding, it's impossible to be saved. Yeah, let me clarify that a little more. That's, that's very true. The Bible does say that without the Spirit's influence, we are not saved. So, but w- what I would specify is that the Holy Spirit will not be active the same way he is active now. Okay? We know that there will be saved people during this time. We know that from the scripture we're reading now. And so uh, they will be, you know, God is going to have mercy on these two groups of people. These are the ones able to stand in that great and awesome day of his wrath. So, yes, they got saved somehow. So the Spirit of God is at least working in them to save a few people. But um, the Scripture also says we have to balance that against the other place in Scripture where it says that when the church is removed, that the Holy Spirit's influence is removed as well. So maybe not completely removed, but certainly the way we experience him today. Make sense? So let's talk about these 12 tribes because there's some interesting truth here as we get the description of them here in the book of Revelation, chapter 7. So there are basically two thoughts um, for those who are trying to understand these 144,000. There is an entire cult who has misinterpreted this 144,000, the Jehovah's Witnesses, who uh, have taken this very small portion of Scripture and built an entire religion around it, basically, saying that only 144,000 will ever get to heaven. So if you've done any study about Jehovah's Witness theology, I'm not going to waste your time tonight, but that's, they believe that only 144,000 people are going to be able to go to heaven, and the rest will be on the earth somehow, so um, do your own study. But that's a misinterpretation. Um, so uh, we can take a look at this, and we, there are basically two schools of thought. Either this is... A, uh, a, a real-life number of people on the earth, 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe on the earth, or this could be symbolic. So um, you can make up your own mind, but I just want to present to you the two different ways of seeing it. Um, the 144,000 is either a specific number of people that are on the earth at this time, They are the ones that have been called by God to stand during this time of revelation. And it's interesting because this is a pattern that is all throughout the Bible. God always leaves a remnant of people, even in terrible times. You've read that 
in other places of the Bible. You've read that, for example, in the time of Elijah. There was a time when the prophet Elijah got discouraged because Jezebel was pursuing him and trying to kill him. And he said to himself, oh, you know, I'm, I'm worthless. I'm, uh, I'm not effective. Nobody's doing anything for the Lord. Nobody's, you know, he says, I'm the only one left who's faithful. But what did God say to him? He said, listen, Elijah, you're not the only one. There's still a remnant. I have a remnant of people who've not bowed the knee to Baal. So over and over through the scripture, you'll find a similar pattern that even in times of great tragedy, great wickedness, great persecution, there is always a remnant of faithful people. So these 144,000, either they are a specific number of Jews who have repented during the time of this uh, persecution and this tribulation, they also could be symbolically representative of the entire body of people of faith. The reason that we say that is because of the seal. The Bible says that these 144,000, look at verse uh, 4, it says, I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. So with the word sealed in your mind, I want you to think, uh, I want a scripture. Um, Let me get two scriptures. Volunteers to read tonight. Ramon, first, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 22, and one more, uh, Mom, Ephesians 4, verse 30. So again, these are 144,000 people who apparently um, are sealed by God, the children of Israel who are sealed. So go ahead and read that. You got it, Ramon? For 2 Corinthians 1, verse 22. Who, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Okay, so the Holy Spirit who has sealed us. And then Ephesians 4, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Okay, you were sealed. So who is that speaking about? Every believer. So in the same way, similarly, we have been sealed by God for the day of redemption. So that's where um, uh, people trying to understand this scripture say, well, yes, we have 12,000 from each tribe, but that's a very specific number, right, to be from each uh, tribe. And then we have the problem that Milo presented, which is that some of these tribes have been completely lost. Some of the tribes that went away during the time of the Babylonian uh, captivity, they never recovered. And even the Jews to this day, most of them have no idea what tribe that they came from. And so it would be very hard, <laughs> or almost, you know, it would be impossible, apart from God's hand, to actually find 12,000 from each one of these tribes. Yes, Dave? Uh, I was under the impression that the Orthodox Jews are actually able to trace themselves back to what tribe they came from. Like Rabbi Lappin, for example, uh, he, he's able to trace his lineage back to Naphtali. Mm-hmm. And so... And so I think they still can do that. So some of them are. But we know for a fact that many of these tribes that are even mentioned in this list are no longer around. And so what I'm saying is that, um, that you know, you, you wouldn't be able to see 12,000 from every single one of them. Right? Marquita? Is there um, different types of orthodox religions or is it just orthodox itself? Is it? orthodox catholic or 
So, yeah, the word orthodox just means um, proper or correct. Um, so it can be taken in many different ways. Milo? I was under the impression that Jews were a shorter version of the tribe of Judah. And so the Jews were from the tribe of Judah originally. And the other were, so it was the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, I thought that that's where the term Jew originated from. And so the Jews trace their lineage back to the tribe of Judah and the other tribes are lost. I'm actually not sure about that, but you might be right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's at least as far as I've been kind of studying that because I was oh. always kind of confused about what it actually meant to be Jewish. And then I found out that some people have different versions of what that actually means. Right. And so that was something that I had. And see, Judah was uh, one of the most important in the Bible because Judah was the one that broke off from the rest of the tribes. And uh, Jesus obviously came, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so that's obviously why... Interestingly enough, in this list of tribes, Judah is listed very first. The tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. But if you know the history, Judah was not the firstborn of the 12 tribes, was he? Um, so it was Reuben. So Reuben is actually listed secondly here, even though he was the firstborn. So there's, there's, um, there's also, uh, from this list, this is not the same list as the 12 tribes in the Old Testament. Missing are Dan and Ephraim. Anybody guess why they're missing from this list? If you read in Judges uh, chapters 17 and 18, you can do your own study. These two tribes were cut off by God because of their idolatry. Yes? So, uh, so where did they go? We have two replacement tribes. We have... Uh, verse, we have tribes in, chapter, or in verse uh, 7, you have the tribe of Levi. You also have the tribe of Joseph listed here. Joseph, um, the, the typical listing of the 12 tribes listed Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. They were called the half-tribes. But here, Joseph is listed as one of the 12 tribes. So it's not an exact uh, uh, replication of the same 12 tribes of the Old Testament. But so all of this is, is, you know, it's maybe not the most important thing for us to understand. It's not like we have to have every answer about this. Either we're talking about 12,000 actual individual people that are Jews on the earth at the time, or perhaps probably makes more sense is that this, these numbers are symbolic of the totality of all believers who are sealed in Christ. Everybody got that so far? Okay, let's talk about the second group in here in chapter 7. We also have an answer to the question, who is able to stand? So we have the 12 tribes that are sealed, perhaps symbolic of all of God's people. And we also have this multitude, verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number. Now here's where we get a little preview, I think, a preview of what heaven as it is going to be is going to be like. A great multitude which no one could number. All nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
And so uh, this, this multitude of people, the innumerable saints, is a fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus gave to us when he was on the earth, Matthew chapter 24. Remember that this chapter, Matthew 24, is Jesus answering the question that his disciples asked him. They said, Lord, how will we, how will we know when these things are going to take place? How will we know when you are about to return? And Jesus then proceeds to give us this uh, chapter 24. Listen to part of his prophecy. He says in Matthew 24, 14, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. So here's a question you should ask yourself. Has the gospel been preached in every nation? We're making progress, but we're not there yet. There is still probably 15 to 20% of this world that has not heard the name of Jesus. The church still has a lot of work to do. The Holy Spirit has to work on us, has to help us. And so that's why we have, in our fellowship, we have such a major focus on world evangelism because we are believing that this prophecy is soon coming true and we want to be part of that, right? Um, I think it was Wayne Gretzky who said that the, the secret of hockey is not skating to where the puck is now, but skating to where the puck is going to be. Have you heard that quote? <laughs> so the secret to living for God is similar. It's not being involved in what God is doing now, but it's trying to figure out where God is going, where God's spirit is moving, and aligning yourself with that work. So we are people who, like as Jesus um, predicted, we are people who believe that the gospel must be preached in all the world, and especially in those places that have not yet heard his name. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, what are we doing to bring that to pass? What are you doing? In this scripture, the, the great multitude says that every nation is represented at the throne of God. Did you catch that? Verse 9. The great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations. That means, yeah, America is there. Uh, Britain is there. Spain. Rome. Italy. France. But if all nations are included, you know what? That, that also means Iran and Iraq and Kuwait and Sudan and Places where today it seems like the Christian influence is zero. So eventually there's going to be people from these cursed nations who are going to stand before God, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. I'm asking you, how do we get from where we are now to where this scripture is? That's why the church is still here. That's why God leaves people on the earth because there's still a job to be done, right? That's why we have maps on the back wall. Because there are still places on that map where people are desperate for the gospel message. So it's important for us to understand that in heaven, heaven is not just one culture or one kind of people. It's not just people like you. That's why racism is such a... a 
foolish point of view. You know, racism says that people that don't look like me aren't worth less than me. But that's so stupid. Because in heaven, every race will be there. And so, you know, you're not going to really enjoy it if you're a racist. <laughs> you probably wouldn't make it. That's right. And so, um, so all nations, all tribes, all people, all tongues, standing before the throne. See, at the throne of God, all of our differences are melted away. We are all with one voice saying salvation belongs to our God. And we find in our scripture, these are the ones who've come out of the great tribulation, washed their robes, made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat, for the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And here's a very tender and personal note that is added. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So this is interesting as we close to think about that every tear is noticed by God. Every suffering. You know, we think about the persecuted church in areas of the world today. Christians are still dying. Where children are being stolen from their parents. Could you imagine mothers and fathers having their sons and daughters stolen from them? There's a few tears associated with that. Right? There's husbands or wives who have been killed leaving widows or widowers. Tears would be shed. Right? And this is such a, such a beautiful promise from the Lord that every tear... It doesn't say that tears will be ignored. Or the tears will be wiped away by who? God. And that God is interested in the healing of our souls. And so uh, even though we are reading about these seals where there's great cosmic disturbances and incredible persecution and pain and terrible things happening, and yet to those who are faithful, to those who who stand before the throne, he will wipe away the tears from their eyes. So, are there any uh, questions or comments before we close tonight? So, when we come back next time, we're going to take a look at the seventh seal described in chapter 8, which is a prelude to the seven trumpets. You thought we were done with sevens. We're not done with sevens. So the seven seals then lead to seven trumpets. And uh, yeah, it gets worse before it gets better. But God is still on the throne. Could we all stand together tonight? And uh, we're just going to give God praise in this place. Father, we thank you. We worship you tonight. We give you honor. We give you glory. We give you praise. We thank you for the work that you're doing in this place. As, we, uh, uh, as our heads are bowed for just a moment, as our eyes are closed, I wonder quickly if there's anyone here that you, if you be honest tonight, you know that you're not right with God. What a crime it would be for us to describe these heavenly things and these future events and not give you an opportunity to repent of sin and to trust the Savior who can save us from all these 
terrible things. And I'm asking you tonight, maybe you need to be, your, your sins need to be forgiven. Before we leave this place, I want to give you that opportunity. Is there someone here, you being honest, you say, Pastor, I'm not right with God. I know that I'm not living for God. I know that His Spirit does not live in me because I know that I'm doing my own thing. I'm living according to the dictates of my own sin. I am living life according to my own understanding. And I know that God doesn't have a place in my life. Tonight's the night to give that place to the Lord, to surrender to His will and to His purpose. It doesn't mean that your life is going to be made perfect in an instant. It doesn't mean that He's going to make you rich or famous or powerful. It simply means that your sins will be forgiven and you will have a place with Him in eternity. If that's you tonight, I want to ask you to lift up your hand quickly. Is there someone here? You need to repent of sin and trust in Christ for your salvation. Or maybe backslidden in your heart like the prodigal son who left the father's house. You're here tonight and you know that you're not right with God. I'd love to pray with you. Is there someone here quickly tonight as we bring the service to a close? Anyone at all? Oh, thank God. Then tonight I want you to one more time. Let's give God praise for all that he's done in our lives tonight. Hallelujah. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vvph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.